Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. First one. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Elijah, Elijah was the man. He was the preacher of preachers. He was the man who challenged governments, who challenged wicked kings, who challenged wicked systems, that he walked in such power from God that he told the king, look, it ain't going to rain until I say so. And then he dipped. And it did not rain until he said so. And then when he gathered people together again, when he saw Obadiah, see, God always has somebody working somewhere. See, he had a man of God working in the king's house. Now, that king and queen were actively persecuting the people of God. But that man of God hid some of the other men of God and would feed them with the king and queen's budget. And so Elijah knew who he was and came up to him and says, go tell the king that we're going to gather together and it's going to rain. And he says, look, man of God, what have I done to get on God's nerves? Doesn't he know that I've been taking care of his people? Because as soon as I tell the king that you're back, you're going to disappear and go somewhere else. Now, look, you don't just make that up, right? That must mean Elijah was known for translating. That one moment he'd be in one place and one next he'd be somewhere else. They couldn't find him, Right? So this man was walking in such power that it was unheard of of most people in that time. And so he's about to leave the scene. And so he knows he's about to be taken up in a whirlwind. The only other person who had been raptured before then was Enoch. So Elijah's about to become the second one. And so now he's putting everything in place before he goes. And Elijah said unto Elisha, now Elijah had been being trained under Elijah for the last 10 to 20 years when you look at what the scholar says. So he's been with them for a long time. He's been his assistant pastor. He's been in training to do what Elijah does. God had told him years ago, about 20 years ago at this point, that Elisha is going to take your place. And Elijah said unto Elisha, stay here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And so the sons of the prophets, other ministers and preachers in training to be in the prophetic office, that were at Bethel, came forth to Elisha and said unto him, don't you know the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he says, I know it. Stop talking about it. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, stay here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophet that were at Jericho came to Elijah and said unto him, Don't you know that the Lord will take away Elijah from you today? And he says, Yes, I know it. Stop talking about it. So the thing is, everybody knows what God is about to do. Elijah knows what God's about to do. Elisha knows what God's about to do. And all the people who are being trained to work with God and flow with God know what God is about to do concerning Elijah. And Elijah said unto him, Hey, stay here for a little bit, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. He says, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And they too went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went, and they stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle. Now the mantle was out of wrap, the garment. It was his coat. So he took off his coat, and look what he did. He smote the waters, and there it divided here and there. So the two went over on dry ground. The last person you saw to do this was Joshua, when they're going into the promised land with the Ark of the Covenant, and the priest stood in the water, and the waters parted so all of Israel can walk through. Another person to remind you of is Moses. Come on, Elijah's a bad boy. He took off his jacket and hit the waters, and the waters parted, and everything dried. This is a bad boy. And so he's crossing over on dry ground, and he noticed nobody is shocked, like, ooh, the waters parted. Of course the waters parted. It's Elijah. Everybody's just watching. And it came to pass when they're gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I be taken away from you. And Elijah said, I pray, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He says, we know the power that you walk in. I want double. Talk about a request. Now, Elijah, bad boy, we just talked about all the stuff he did. Elijah said, I want double. Elijah has called down fire from heaven three different times. We know about the prophets of Baal, but he did it other times when people were threatening his life. And, and they were mocking, well, man of God, come down. Well, if I be a man of God, let fire fall on your army. Whoosh. And Elisha said, I want 
double. And note what Elijah said. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came, but I want you to notice something about Elisha's dedication to Elijah. Nothing could separate them. That's where God had assigned him. He wouldn't let anything take him from his assignment. Have you let stuff take you away from the assignment that God has given you? Can you say you have the dedication of Elisha that nothing can separate me? Elisha was dedicated to the assignment God had given him. And it came to pass when they went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire with horses of fire. This is an angel driven chariot and it's all on fire. And parted them both asunder. So the only thing that could part Elisha from Elijah was God with a chariot of fire and horses of fire. When he looked at it, it says it drove between them. That's the only way they parted. That's how much Elisha was dedicated to his assignment. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. What? He's like, well, that's, that's weird. Why would he say that? He was saying that Elijah, his ministry, what he meant to the nation was as much as the army and the cavalry. That no one could do anything to Israel because Elijah was there. He was as worth the army and the cavalry of Israel. And he's leaving. He's watching him go up to heaven with this chariot and this whirlwind. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. So as Elijah went up, his jacket, his mantle fell down. And so Elisha picked it up. And he went to the same waters that Elijah had parted before. And he asked the question, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, they parted here and there, and Elisha went over. And the sons of the prophets which were viewing at Jericho saw him, and they said, The spirit of Elijah does now rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. I really believe that the people of the world are asking the same question that Elisha did. Where is he? That they look at the church and say, Where is your God? Where is he? And Elisha knew exactly where he is. And that's how he performed that miracle. Go with me to John 14. You'll see why I opened it with this passage in a few moments. Go to John 14. Where is he? And sadly, a lot of people in the church ask that question. Where is he? If anybody should have the answer, it should be the church of the living God. John 14. Verse 8. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And she said unto him, Have I been with you so long, and you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. So how are you saying, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that lives in me, he does the works. See, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of the ministry of Jesus. They say, well, Jesus just did stuff because he was the Son of God. He just did whatever he wanted to do. But if you study out Jesus' life and ministry through the Gospels, you see that's not how he operated. He said, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father do. That's why you hear me pray that way. Why? I'm following the example of Jesus. And he's saying, the Father who's in me, he does the works. So he's completely submitted to the will of his Father. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or else at least believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus said, you're going to do what I do, and then you're going to do greater because I got to go. The only way you could do that is if you're equipped just like Jesus. Where is he? And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, we talked about that name already, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now, why would he say another? Because up to that day, Jesus was their comforter. Come on, you know they had boldness because Jesus was right there. Jesus, you know you would act, because you'd be like Peter, acting extra. You'd be extra, extra bold. 
Why, Jesus right there, if you got in trouble, you knew he could pick you out of the water because you were sinking. Up until that point, Jesus was their comforter. He says, I'm going to send you another comforter. And this phrase, another comforter, means someone in the same quality and type as me. You're not going to get a lesser comforter, but it's going to be the same quality and type as me. That he may stay with you forever. Why saying forever? Because I have to go. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. They knew this comforter because the comforter had been working with Jesus the whole time, and they had gotten used to the presence of the comforter. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you without a comforter. This phrase also means I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you by yourself, but I will come to you. Well, how would he come to him? Through the comforter. Let's skip down to verse 26. But the comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, so he makes it very clear. Well, who is this comforter? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Which means you have control over your heart. You have control over your emotions. So in the midst of everything happening this year, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. But don't you see the news? Let not your heart be troubled, let it not be afraid. What about the election? Let not your heart be troubled, let it not be afraid. What about the virus? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So one of the things you understand about John 14, 15, and 16, this is all one conversation. This is one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's taken away. So you have to remember, if this is the last thing you say, it's really the things you want your people to get before you go. So you go to chapter 15, and look at verse 26. But when the Comforter has come, whom I'll send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So he keeps going back to this Comforter. Now go to chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is expedient or it is better for you that I go away. You know that was a lot for them to hear. Come on, if you're walking with Jesus for over three years and she said, it's good that I leave you, you're like, no, you're wrong. You haven't been wrong up till now, but Jesus, you are wrong at this moment. What do you mean it's good for you to leave me? This is what he's telling them. Imagine that you're those disciples with them, hearing Jesus say these things. It's better for you that I go away, for if I don't go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin, because, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't handle it right now. So Jesus, there's so much more I want to talk to you about and share with you and teach you, but you can't handle it right now. How be it when the spirit of truth has come? The comforter, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. And this word guide is like someone who leads you on an excursion. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been on a safari. You know, Minister Dathan and I went on a mini one the last time we were in Africa. And, you know, Dathan, wasn't it good that the guy knew where he was going? We wouldn't want a new guy, would we? Someone who's never been out there says, you know, I just have a lot of enthusiasm for safaris. No, bruh, no. There are things out here that can eat me. I need a guide who knows this area better than he knows the back of his hand. I want someone who knows where the animals are so I can get a good picture from my safe distance. And I want someone who knows where the traps are, where the issues are. I want someone who knows who can get me out of a situation just in case the hyenas break loose. I don't want those laughing hyenas to be laughing over me, so no. I want a guide who knows where they're going. And see, Jesus sent you a guide who knows your future better than you know your past. The comforter. So he will guide you into all truth, not just things you consider deep spiritual things, everything. He sent you a guide, even to guide you through a year like this one. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He will announce to you things to come. 
Why would he tell you things before they happen so that you're prepared? He might not give you every detail, but he'll tell you what you need to know so that you can be prepared. One of the reasons we were prepared to minister effectively this season because he told us to do some things last year and the year before. So when everything went down, we were prepared. He announced to us some things we should do so we're prepared what was to come. See, so many people are like, I just wait for this year to be over. But guess what happens after this year? 2021. Doesn't magically reset. So what's going to happen next year? You got a comforter, he'll tell you. He'll tell you how you need to prepare. He'll tell you how you need to go forward. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. He shall glorify me, and he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. So one of the chief ministries of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, which means to bring honor or fame to. That's why you hear me say, to make Jesus famous. That's one of the chief responsibilities of the ministry of Jesus, to make Jesus famous. Now, this word comforter, when you look at it in the Amplified Classic Translation and in the Greek, it means comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby, and encourager. It means comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby, and encourager. That's all what the Holy Spirit wants to be in your life. So why is this phrase comforter so important? Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, the wisest man on earth at the time, the son of David. And so, you know, he wrote most of Proverbs and he wrote Ecclesiastes. And so what you're going to see in chapter 4, verse 1, is Solomon's take from all his wisdom he has about what's going on in the earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold the tears of such that were oppressed. He says, I looked at all the oppression, and I looked at the tears of those who were oppressed. And notice what he said. And they had no comforter. See, the Greek translation of Ecclesiastes is the same Greek translation for what we just saw in John 14, 15, and 16. It's paraclete, paracletos. He says, I saw all the oppression. I saw the tears of the oppressed. And I realized they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power. So the oppressors had power. But they had no comforter. So Solomon, all his wisdom, thousands of years before Jesus came, before the gift of the Holy Spirit was given. So here's the answer to what's going on in the world. A comforter. Come on, if there was a comforter, we could handle the oppression. If there was a comforter, we could help the oppressed. If there was a comforter, we could handle all these issues on this planet. And Solomon, all his wisdom, with all his money, with all his power, says, you know what? I can't handle it with what I got. But if we had a comforter, we could handle what's going on. Now go to Acts chapter 1. The comforter. Chapter 1, verse 8. Now, by this point, what we're about to read is Jesus has already died and risen from the dead, and he's been walking with his disciples and followers for about 40 days now. And he's about to send into heaven. And he says in verse 8, But you shall receive power. Now, where power is a Greek word dunamis, miraculous ability, the ability to do miracles, miraculous force. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, to them, they had already believed in Jesus. They knew he raised from the dead, and the Holy Spirit lived within them. You see that in John 22. But now they're going to receive some more. See, there's two different workings of the Spirit of God. There's Holy Spirit within you that's for you, and Holy Spirit upon you, which is for others. And you shall be my witnesses. What was the Holy Spirit empowering them to do? To be a witness. What does a witness do? Give evidence. What are they giving evidence of? Jesus is alive and well. Both in Jerusalem. Why is that important? They're in Jerusalem right now. So he'll be my witness where you are right now. And Judea, that's where they come from. That's the area around Jerusalem. And in Samaria. You say, well, that was near Jerusalem. Yeah, but 
Samaria was interesting because Samaria, when you study the history and you see even the interesting parts of in the Gospels, what I said about it, is that it had a history of mixed religion. That it had truth mixed with paganism, mixed together. And then the people were half Jewish and half people of the nations. And so the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Jews even called them half-breeds. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. They said the Jews don't even know what they're talking about. So what you have in Samaria is cultural tension, religious tension, and racial tension. You see, the Jews did not even like to go through Samaria. So you could walk through Samaria to get to Jerusalem and take a day's journey. But most Jews did not want to do that, so they would take the longer route, which is like a three-day's journey, so they wouldn't have to even go through Samaria. Come on, that's some tension. You know what? I ain't going to even drive through your city. I'm going to take two extra days and walk around. That's some tension. But notice what Jesus said when the Holy Ghost, the comforters come. You'll be my witnesses in Samaria. The comforter will take you out of your comfort zone. He did not send you a comforter to keep you in your comfort zone. Sometimes a comforter will make you uncomfortable because he takes you into places where you should be where you don't want to go. But sometimes where you don't want to go is exactly where you're supposed to be. It's where you're needed, where it's where you're anointed to be, and where you find the most fulfillment. Maybe you're unfulfilled because you stayed comfortable. Maybe you're unfulfilled because you're too scared to take a step out and do what God called you to do. Maybe what God has for you is outside of your comfort zone where there's tension. Where it's not what you were used to. The comforter will take you out of your comfort zone to the place you're always meant to be. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, these were angels, stood by them, wide a parable, says, Why are you standing, you men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, shall come into you, to you in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. So notice, this is very familiar, because we just read 2 Kings 2 a few moments ago. That as Elisha watched Elijah go up, these disciples are watching Jesus go up. And just like something fell from Elijah, something fell from Jesus. You see that in Acts chapter 2. Just go over. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. This is 10 days later. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So just like the mantle fell from Elijah to Elisha, the same person Jesus was anointed with, the same mantle that Jesus wore fell from Jesus to his church. Well, how do you know that? Go to Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. How did Jesus do what he did? Through the Holy Ghost, through the Comforter, through the power of the Spirit of God. And just like Elijah went into heaven and dropped a mantle to Elisha, Jesus went into heaven and dropped us his same mantle. So you might say, the world's asking the question, where is he? In you. Where is he? On you. Stop looking around. Where is, what is God going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with what God has sent you? Well, I need the government to do something. Why are you waiting on them? They're broken slow. Why are we waiting for the government to bring some type of deliverance? The government don't have the Holy Ghost. Unless they're saved, they don't got them. But you have the comforter. Where is he? In you. Upon you. Solomon said the answer to all their oppression is a comforter and you have him you have what Solomon couldn't get with all his wisdom and all his money he knew what he needed but he didn't have him 
Even John the Baptist, when he studied out the ministry of John the Baptist, when Jesus came to be baptized of him, he says, whoa, whoa, bro, why do you need me to baptize you? I want to be baptized by you. Why? Notice what John preaches when the Messiah comes, he will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John the Baptist was after the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, that's what I want. I want the comforter. I know, I've studied the book. I know he's about to show up because you here. So I don't want to dump you in one. I want you to dump me in him. That's what John the Baptist was after. And Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest minister under the old covenant. And he knew there was something greater yet ahead. And we ask, where is he? He's with you right now. Oh, I don't feel him. It's not about what you feel. It's about what God said. Well, I need to feel the Holy Ghost before I do something. No, it's about what God said. Well, I don't feel goosebumps. It never said the Holy Ghost is a goosebump. He's a person. Well, I just don't feel. Stop going by what you feel. Your feelings are fickle. They change. If I waited to get in this pulpit until I felt anointed, there'd be some days I might text others, oh, well, you preach today. I'm comfortable. It's cold this morning. I'm, I'm good in my blankets. It's not about what you feel. It's about what God said. And God said, I sent you a comforter. God said, you're anointed. God said, you're blessed. God said, you're part of the church of the living God. So instead of looking for the government or whoever political party you like to fix it, why don't you start something? You have the comforter. So go back to John 14. Where is he? With you. John 14. Let's look at verse 9 again. And he's telling Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't really know me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you saying, show us the Father? Believe now that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. Well, how am I going to do, the, do a miracle? The Father who lives in you will do the works. Well, I don't know how to fix it. Well, check in with God. Oh, he's all the way up on heaven. Yes, he's in heaven, but he's in you. The Father who dwells in you does the works. Say, the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. So that should take the pressure off of you. You're not the performer, you're just the believer. It's your job to believe and show up. See, God will take you to places and put you in situations that it's going to take him to bring out the miracle. You know, there were times, you know, especially getting involved in the community. I remember a few years ago, might be five, six years ago, I was in a community meeting being prepared for different things that could happen in the city or in the area. And so I'm going to learn, Right? And so I'm sitting there listening as they talked and as they shared. And they said, go, hey, Pastor Butler, what should we do about this? And I was like, yeah, Pastor Butler, what should we do about it? Oh, that's me. Hold on a second. <laughs> what? I thought I was learning. Oh, so now I'm charged. And what I do, look on the inside and find something to say. God will put you into places where you thought you were going to learn, but they look at you and say, hey, tell us what to do. He will take you out of your comfort zone because that's where you're meant to be. In times like these, people need people who have boldness, who are moved forward with a comforter. Not just, well, let's get back to what we're used to. Well, come on, think about it. Before this all happened, go back to 2019. You were upset with how things were. So why do you want to get back to what you were upset with? Come on, we just, you know, we have a, it's what we do as humans, we romanticize the past. Even if the past was horrid. Oh, but don't you remember those good old days? Those good old days that you complain every day about? That you were so upset about? God, you got to do something. God, you got to do something. I can't go on like this, Jesus. So why are you trying to get back to that? Why don't you move forward and create the future God wants you to? Stop looking behind you. Go forward. You know, you guys have heard me say a lot in the congregation. I say it in our meetings all the time and with the team as we're planning to do new stuff. We ain't going to be blockbuster. 
How dare we try to be a blockbuster in an age of Netflix? We get so in love with the past and methods God used in the past. We begin to worship methods instead of the person who used the method. That we have to be willing to change. As the Holy Ghost moves, we move. Well, God, this is not what you did 10 years ago. Well, great. Build a museum, move forward. See, here's an issue with the church. We get so caught up in what God did, and we miss what God is doing. We'll build a denomination around what God did, and we'll fight what God is doing. God always moves aligned with his word, so if people are doing something that's against the word, that's not God. But you can't get so caught up in what it used to be that you miss what God is doing. God has stuff in store for us right now. But we have to move forward with the Holy Ghost. We have to move forward with the comforter. Well, it makes me uncomfortable. Well, maybe you should have been comfortable in the first place. Because you have to look, what gave you comfort? Was it the comforter himself or was it your certainty? Or was it because you got comfortable in your routine? You got comfortable in everybody else thinking, okay, because you acted like them and talked like them and smoked like them and drank like them and party like them. And you were comfortable because you were like them. But the Holy Ghost has been calling you not to be like them, but to come out from among them and be separate. And I'll be your father, says the Lord God Almighty. That's what the scripture said. It's time for us to go forward with what God has called us to do. So, ooh, but what if it doesn't work? What if it does? What if I fall, but what if you fly? There's always a what if. There's always a reason to be afraid. There's always a reason to quit. There's always a reason. Always, always, always. But there's always a reason to win. What did David say when Goliath was before them? Is there not a cause? God has called you to do greater works because he's equipped you just like he equipped Jesus. Now go to 2 Corinthians 5. Let's drive this point on even more. And I think as I said it last week, don't let opposition determine what the will of God is for your life. Well, so if it's the will of God, everything works easy. Well, maybe not. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes you have resistance. So you can't let, whether it's easy or not, determine the will of God. What determines the will of God? What you see written in the word and what the comforter leads you to do in your heart. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains or compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And he that died for all, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them and rose again. Meaning since Jesus died for us and got back up again, it just makes sense for us to live for him because he died for us. He died a death that we didn't have to die. So because he did that, it just makes logical sense. You don't even have to be deep. It just makes sense I should live for that dude. He did all that for me. It just makes sense I should live for him. Wherefore, henceforth know we not no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if you're a believer, you're in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And in Galatians 5 says the new creature has the advantage. The new creature has the advantage. You have the advantage. So don't call yourself disadvantaged. You have the advantage. Let me take a little bit further and make it in more language since everybody's debating about this word now. You have privilege. You have more privilege than anybody else on this earth. You have more advantage than anybody else on this earth. Why? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So stop calling yourself disadvantaged. Well, pastor, I don't have the education. Stop calling yourself disadvantaged. Pastor, I don't have the exposure. Stop calling yourself disadvantaged. Pastor, I don't know the right people. Stop calling yourself disadvantaged. Why? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have the advantage. You're already on the winning side. 
He said, well, you don't know my past. Old things are passed away. Your past is irrelevant. Tell me, what could you have done that's greater than the blood? I'll wait. What could you do that's greater than the blood of Jesus? Nothing. Well, pastor, you don't know how jacked up I was. Still does not matter. You don't know all the things I did. Look, I don't think any of y'all are terrorists. Saul was a terrorist. But the blood. And after Saul got saved, God never brought up his past to him again. I don't care what you did or when you did it. It does not matter because the blood of Jesus has been applied. Well, I have to work for all these years to fix what I did. Who said so? Well, I have to pay for my sins. That is against the very heart of the gospel. Because Jesus paid for your sins. Well, I was so stupid, and maybe what you did was stupid. Well, I messed up my finances. I messed up my body. I messed up my family. Save me all these years to fix it. Says who? It may take some time, but you're not paying for your mistakes. You follow the wisdom of the comforter. He'll show you what to do. It's like, oh, well, I just stopped drinking, but, you know, I drank so much liquor. I drank all this, and my, you know, my life expectancy is shorter, and my liver's messed up. We serve a Jesus who can deliver you from alcoholism and give you a new liver. Look, you say, well, what about meth? We serve a Jesus who can deliver you from meth and give you some new teeth, bro. He's Jesus. Your past is not greater than Jesus. Your sin is not greater than Jesus. Your mistakes are not greater than Jesus. You serve Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the supreme in authority. Everything else has to bow, including your past. You have to understand, Jesus knew you and all your issues when he called you. And when he looked at you, all your issues, he says, I'll give you the word and I'll give you a comforter. Jesus called you knowing all the drama that you got. You say, well, pastor, I'm extra. Jesus knew your extraness and sent you a comforter to help you. Well, Jesus, you just, you just know I really want to give him a peace of mind. Stop. That's why you don't have a lot left. Stop. But the comforter will check you on the side. Don't say that. Do not post that. Stop. Delete. Backward, you hear on the inside. It's the comforter saying, don't do that. He's helping you and your extraness. Come on, you may want to knock somebody out. And you hear that old song from LL Cool J, Mama said, knock you out. And the Holy Spirit says, stop, calm down, breathe, leave. He'll help you and all your extraness because he's the comforter. And the thing is, we can't be so afraid of the issues we have that we try to hide it from God. God, this is where I am right now. I know I don't have to stay this way, and with the help of the comforter in your word, I won't stay this way. But here is where I am. I put everything I am in your hands. The part that you feel confident about and the part you feel embarrassed about, all of it. Put it in the hands of the potter. Your job is to stay on the wheel. Let him mold you. Let him fashion you. Let him work with you. Because we can't save ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. We're sheep of his pasture. We're his responsibility. Just don't leave the pasture. Don't get off the wheel. Stay with him. Let him work on you. He's like, well, I just got saved last week. Well, good. Grow. Progress. You can get saved today. Jesus expects you to be perfect tomorrow. But you know what he wants tomorrow? Growth. Keep moving forward. Keep going forward. You have a comforter. Your new creation, Christ Jesus, you have the advantage. And all things of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation to which the God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and not imputing their trespasses against them, not holding their sins against them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God. For he has made him to be 
sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now notice the main word in this is reconcile, reconciliation, be ye reconciled to God. That's the main thing. And he used the example, says God was in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, bringing the world to himself. This word reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations. It's the restoration to favor. So God was in Jesus bringing the world to himself. And now Jesus has ascended on high and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not this is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. If you're a believer, you all call to the ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't mean you'll stand behind a pulpit somewhere because your life is a pulpit. He's given each and every one of you the ministry of reconciliation. God is working in you to bring the world to himself, to restore the world to friendly relations, to restore the world to favor with God. Then he's given you the word of reconciliation. Remember I said restored people restore people. It's our job to bring the world to God. We'll unpack this more in the weeks to come, but this is what God is doing in you bringing the world to himself. And notice it said they're not holding their sins against them. God, God's not holding anybody's sin against them. I don't care what lifestyle they live, where they live, and how far they're away from God. God's not holding their sins against them. Now, the enemy is. And what you sow, you will reap, and sin is a seed. But God is not holding their sins against them. Why? Jesus took away the sins of the world. That's what it tells in John 1, right? It didn't say just the sins of good church people. The sins of the entire world, of all Christians, all Jews, all atheists, all Muslims, all Buddhists, all Hinduists, all Wiccans, all witches, all warlocks, all people who are mixed everything together. He took away all their sins. So there is nothing standing between them and being able to come to God. Now everybody must come to God. And make a decision for Jesus. Because you see, there's only one thing that sends people to hell. And it's not this whole list of sins that you can think of. The only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus. And not making a decision for him the same as rejecting him. The only thing that gets you into heaven is not all the good things you do. Yes, do good things, but that doesn't save you. It's receiving Jesus, following after him. See, God did the hard part. All we have to do is agree and believe. So God is trying to get them. Some people think, well, God doesn't want all these people in heaven. Excuse me? Do you know how big of a city he built? The city of New Jerusalem is so large that it would cover most of North America. Not just in width, width, length, and height. The city is, is as wide as it is high as it is long. There are skyscrapers in that city. Everybody's got a mansion in that city. You can fit a lot of people there, tons of people. And that's just a city. That's a capital city. There's also a planet, but that's another message. So you think God hasn't made room for people? You really think God only wants a few people in there? Do you really think he would lose to the enemy? And the enemy has more people in hell than God has in heaven? Do you really think it's going to be close? So well, the Bible says, narrow is the way, and few find it. Yes, there's one way, only one. There's many ways to take your butt to hell with gasoline draws on. There's many different ways to do that. You can pick several different ways. But there's only way one, one to heaven is Jesus. And few may find it by themselves, but guess, guess what? They're not by themselves. They got you. You can keep pointing. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. All Jesus. 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 Well, if I know what I'm going to ask you, you're going to say, yes, you know. Jesus. Notice the heart of the Father. He says, if you come to me, I won't turn you away. It's our job to bring people to Jesus. Then he says, we are ambassadors. Ambassadors, divine representatives with authority and jurisdiction. We'll get into this, I think, next week. We're supposed to be heaven's outpost. 
if you ever travel, that, you know, one of the things I like to do, especially if I'm going to certain places that I know are a little bit rougher than others, I make sure I know where the U.S. Embassy is. Because if anything goes down, I know where to go. Why? I pay my taxes. They open the doors for me. It's like, oh, he's joking. Oh, no, no. I was in one country, and they're trying to take my passport on a train. It's, excuse me, boop, 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 U.S. Embassy. My name is so-and-so. I live in such a city. I pay my taxes. I need you to translate for me. What? Of course. That's what it was set up. That's why the ambassador's there, to help me in that situation. Because I'm an American. You have to understand that where you are, what God has called you to do, is an embassy of heaven. You've been given authority. You've been given jurisdiction. So you don't just let anything happen in your house. What is the will of the government that sent you? The ambassador doesn't just operate by what they think is best. They go back to orders. And what God has called you to do is an extension of the ministry of Jesus. It is the ministry of reconciliation. It is what the comforter empowers you to do. Say, I'm an ambassador. See, wherever you go, that's heaven's outpost. So whether you're standing in long lines at the grocery store, heaven has showed up at the grocery store. Because you're there. See, you have the power to bring two worlds together. You have the power to bring heaven to earth. Why didn't Jesus say that we should pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Where you, you know, sometimes I confess before a minister, where my feet touch the ground is where heaven meets the earth. And whatever God has called you to do in whatever arena or spear or mountain of society, where your feet touch the ground is where heaven meets the earth. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your race. Doesn't matter your background. So will you dare believe it? That heaven can show up wherever you go. Run out of time, so I'm going to sum this up. First John chapter 1. When you look at First John chapter 1, you see it begins with John saying, I'm writing to you about the things that I heard, the things that I saw, the things that I felt, things that I experienced since the beginning, what? The beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he says, this is the message I heard from him, and I'm declaring it unto you. Here's why I'm telling you all these things, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. That word fellowship means partnership. And intimate friendship. You have to understand the Heavenly Father wants to be partners with you. Yes, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit himself is a senior partner, but you're still a partner. He doesn't just move in and take over you and make you do something. That's not how he operates. He wants to do things in partnership with you. And John goes on and saying, here's the message we heard from Jesus. Here's how he summed up everything Jesus taught him in those over three years. And the messages we have recorded and in the private conversations they had. He says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If you're going to partner with God, you have to understand God is light. In him is no COVID-19 at all. God is light. In him is no racism at all. God is light. In him, there's no poverty at all. God is light. In him, there's no depression at all. It's hard for you to partner with God if you think God is the source of all the bad things on the earth. But if you understand that he's light and his will for everybody is good and that he loves everybody, you can partner with him. You know, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, how Paul ends it, he says, may the love of God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion or the fellowship or the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's ending this great letter to the church at Corinth, reminding them about the amazing love of God, the amazing grace of Jesus that he's given to us for that we're supposed to be partners with God. Let's go to Romans. Oh, let's stay here. Second Corinthians 6, I'm still here. Verse 14, 
Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship or partnership has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Notice he's still talking about the believer. He's called the believer righteous. Remember the scripture just said you are the righteous God in Christ Jesus. You're not an old sinner saved by grace. That's an oxymoron. You are, if you're a believer, if you're saved, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more righteous. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself less righteous. Righteousness is your standing. That's who you are. That's your identity. Now, your conduct should be holiness. And you have stuff to work on in that arena. But you're still the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Because if you weren't the righteous, you wouldn't have standing to come before God when you blow it. Like, oop, I made a mistake. That was just stupid. If you had no standing, you couldn't be come before the king anytime you wanted to. But because you have standing, anytime you can come before God night and day and make your requests known. We just don't always take God up on the answer. We think, well, well maybe, maybe, let me wait a couple days. Maybe God's mad at me. Let me run from him for a little while and eventually turn back. Have you ever noticed that doesn't work out well? The farther you run for God, the worse you get. We have to really take the mentality of being the children of God. You know, the only person who would dare wake up a king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is the king's child. No other person would dare wake up the king from sleep just so they can have a glass of water, but a child would. Do you think an earthly king is better than the king of kings? I remember, I think it was sometime last year, I was reflecting on this, and my four-year-old thinks she was three then. You know, she was doing something in the other room, and it says, Daddy, Daddy, come here, come here. And so I came in there, said, you need me to do something? It's like, no, I just wanted you to be with me. And of course, you know how I felt, well, like, oh, you just wanted me to be with you. Then a few days later, I was traveling somewhere, and God brought that to my mind, and he says, do you think I'm any less of a father? That I show up just because you want me to be with you. Come on, that's why he inhabits the praises of his people. That's why where it says two or three are gathered, that's why he's there. He just wants to be with you. Come on, he sent the comforter to move on the inside of you. That's why the scripture goes on. He calls you Christ, calls you believers. Says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Come on, God just wants to be with you. When he studied out the scriptures at the very beginning, he would have walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He just wanted to be with them. Even Psalm 8, we know what David writes in Psalm 8, but it says this, an angel said in a certain place, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you would visit him? See, imagine there was no humankind for a long period of time. There was just God and the angels. And so when God created man, angels were like, what is this? We didn't know there was a position available. We didn't know you could put someone between us and you. And who is he that you would come down just to hang out with him, to check on him? They were perplexed at that. But then as you look at even, when you look at God bringing his people out of Egypt, he was setting up a tabernacle just to be with them. It's always been, oh, God wants to hang out with you. So stop thinking that all your extraness, all your messiness, all your mistakes, all your problems, all your drama, all your sin has made God change his mind about you. God still wants to be with you. You know what the psalm said? Even though I make my bed in hell, you are with me. On your best days, on your worst days, in the valley, on the mountain, he's with you. Whether you feel it or not, he's with you. You are the temple of God. And not only should that bring comfort to you, that should be comfort wherever you go. Because you have an answer to what goes on in the world. Not only do you have an answer, you have the power to deal with it because God's with you. Say, God's with me. 
Let's go to Romans 8, verse 19. I'll close here. Romans 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. The whole world is waiting for the people of God to be the people of God. The whole world has the question, where is he? He's with you. He's in you. He's upon you. He likes to hang out with you. And so people say, where is God? He's right here. What, what do you need him to do? That you can actually pray and get an answer for the people. You can do that. See, it's great to use your faith for yourself, but it's even better when you learn to use it for others. Where is he? He's with you. We have a work to do. See, we have to stop looking at problems and things that show up in the world as, well, that just means Jesus is about to come back. Well, yes and no. All these things have been happening as long as the world has been here. They said it will increase in intensity right before he shows up, not because he's doing it, it's just a sign. Like you drive down the street, well, before you get to the church, you're going to pass this, you're going to pass that, and then you'll see the church. That's those signs, letting you know what's coming. But we have to make sure our theology isn't rescue theology. Yes, Jesus is rescued from our sins and from the darkness. We've already been rescued. But we need to stop looking at the rapture as a black ops mission of Jesus sneaking into the earth to come get his people. One, two, three, gotcha. Come on, let's go. No, 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 no. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. A church that's been glorified, acting like Jesus. The only day that God, the church, and Satan will all be happy. God is happy to see us coming. The church will be happy to go, and Satan will be so happy that we left. Why? We've been walking in victory. We've been walking with God. We've been walking in the fullness of our redemption. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be as individuals, as a family, as a church. And so, you know, some things I might share next week, a couple weeks, that's why we're about to do some stuff that people say, that's impossible for you to do in a pandemic. It's just impossible. You can't do that. Well, yeah, well, we're about to do it. There's a lot of stuff we did this year. People said it was impossible. Yet, we started our first satellite church and opened a school and started a TV network and have been growing. People say it's impossible. Well, to those who believe. Stop telling people what's impossible. Stop saying what you can't do. Stop saying you're disadvantaged. Stop saying it's too much. The greater one's with you. And you're anointed, you're blessed, you're called, and you're empowered for such a time as this. You were meant to be here right now. So be innovative. Be creative. Because the Spirit of God is creative in nature. He created everything. You, stop, you think he stopped being a creator after he stopped creating on the, seventh day, on the sixth day? No. Seeking for wisdom and advice. Ask, well, God, what should I do about this? Do you want me to address this? How should I handle this? You're an ambassador. You're heaven's outpost. Jesus is coming soon. Whether he comes today or seven days from now, seven years from now, seven years from now, still soon. But instead of being the people who run away, like, oh, something bad's going to happen. Let me run into my prayer closet and make sure I'm straight because I don't want to miss this rapture. Just in case the trumpet calls, let me make sure I'm straight. How about we just live right, and when something happens, we go and actually be the church, and if Jesus actually does show up that day, he sees us doing what he called us to do. He sees us being the church, that when there's a natural disaster, okay, we got this, we got this, done, da, 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 all right, whoosh. But he sees us in action. That's what we're called to do. There's some things, yes, we'll do as a church family together, but there's some things he called you to do as an individual. Well, 
well, I'm just waiting for pastors to say we're going to do this as a church. Well, why don't you do it? Well, I have a passion for schools, so why don't you do something? Well, I have a passion for homeless. Why don't you do something? You don't have to wait for us to say something. Say, well, I want to make sure I don't miss it. Well, shoot, send me an email. <laughs> send me a plan. Pastor, will you pray about this? Sure. People do that all the time. So go. God's with you. Run. Keep me updated. Tell me how it goes. We're all anointed. I ain't the only one anointed in this room. We're all anointed. God has all called us to do something. And we have to do it together. We have work to do before Jesus comes back. And we're going to do it together. And what he's called this body believes to do is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And that is exactly what we're doing. And we'll continue to do and keep taking it up and up and up and up until Jesus comes back. So we can all stand before him and say, we've done everything you told us to do, sir. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.